Welcome to this episode of the Atlanta Career Journey Podcast. Today's guest is Rob Phillips, who's an enterprise solutions architect at Atlassian. Rob's been passionate about agile development and business agility since we met at Equifax. We both have Georgia Tech backgrounds, and he's taken on some interesting roles with Agile since our days at Equifax. I'm eager to hear more about what he's been up to and what's happening in the Agile world. So welcome to the podcast, Rob. Thank you, Paul. Great to be here. Yeah, likewise, man. Uh, this Agile is always one of those terms that um, people are really interested in. Either they know about it and want to hear more, or they know nothing about it, but they've heard the term and they want to kind of figure it out. So uh, I've been uh, eager to talk to you a little more about your experience, and you kind of helped you know, shed some light on the structure when we were both at Equifax. I took one of your training classes and really enjoyed it. But let's kind of start from the beginning, man. A little bit about your background. Tell me a little about where you grew up, um, you know, some, uh, some interest in school and, and kind of how that led to your first job. Sure. Yeah. Well, um, Georgia native. Well, I grew up in Atlanta, born in Atlanta and through fourth grade was, uh, was living over off of, uh, I guess, in the area of Briarcliff and would have gone to Lakeside High School if I had uh, still lived there. But um Grew up, you know, in the 70s, like uh, like a lot of us then, and uh, my dad ended up being transferred down to a small town called Vidalia, Georgia, a South Georgia town, and uh, mm-hmm. it was uh, an opportunity to go lo- really move to a different different culture, slower-paced life, uh, but ultimately a great place to grow up, so um, I definitely learned some very different things than growing up in more of a hustle and bustle in Atlanta. Yeah. How old were you when you moved? Yeah, so that was uh, when nine years old. Okay. So pretty young. Yeah. But good time to, um, again, it, it was slower, but that was probably a good thing. And especially compared to now, um, I would definitely say it's a great place to grow up. Probably not a place I'd want to live, um, and except maybe late in life. But um, yeah, you know, there's good things about the small towns. It was, I remember I had, uh, when I met my wife, later, we'll talk about later perhaps, but uh, she had grown up in Atlanta. And, and when I took her down in Vidalia, and we just drove up to people's houses that I knew and just started talking. You know, they'd take me, oh, come on in, have, have, a, have dinner and things like that. And and she just was shocked because you wouldn't do that where, you know, she had grown up kind of in Atlanta going through that. Sure. And it was just that kind of place. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Cause they, people are friendly and it's almost like an extended family, right? Everybody kind of knows everybody and it's, there's good and bad to it, but uh, definitely different than, you know, in a big metropolitan city like we are in Atlanta right now. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, growing up in, in Vidalia, um, went to high school there, I imagine. Yeah. So in high school, um, you know, and it was an, it was a, well, football, Friday Night Lights kind of football place. And uh, mm-hmm. I didn't play football, but uh, it was definitely um, fun, a fun time. And uh, when I was eventually starting to think about what I would do beyond that and, um, and looking at schools and things like that, it, it basically came down to a real simple decision. I had scored higher on my SAT in math than verbal. And the extent of the counseling that we had back then not to really be that critical, but it was just the way it was. It's like, oh, your SAT is higher in math than verbal, so see if you can get into Georgia Tech, and uh, there you go, right? So that was, <laughs> that was about as much. Sounds very similar to the advice I got. Thought as I put in the process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I had an opportunity to go to, to Mercer and actually play on the tennis team there. I played um, a pretty good bit of tennis growing up and, and on the tennis team and things, but uh, but it would have been kind of a trade-off as far as the cost uh, between going to Georgia Tech and going to Mercer since they were a private school, it was a partial scholarship. And uh, I think looking back on that, it would have been kind of neat to, to play on a, a college tennis team and have that opportunity. But ultimately just the opportunity at, at Georgia Tech seemed like it was the, the longer term path to, to go down. So that's why I ended up going that way. Gotcha. Did you know coming out of high school, what you wanted to major in in college or, or at Georgia Tech specifically? 
I did not. In fact, I really didn't know much about it at all other than, okay, it's, a, it's supposed to be a good school, so you might as well go there. Um, I ended up, uh, you know, being undecided engineering when I applied. I figured, okay, well, engineering, definitely, you can always perhaps go to, to management or another track if, if needed, but, um, but start engineering and just see where it goes. And I never had any kind of passion, though, for, for a particular type of engineering around, you know, electronics, like engineering, computer science, um, mechanical, civil. There was nothing on the engineering front that really I had a great passion about, but I, I, I was still interested in the overall area. And that's where I ended up ultimately just picking a, uh, a path of industrial engineering, which was the really the most broad engineering that was there um, as a path to go down and, and give me the most versatility for what I would eventually end up in. Gotcha. Did you, um, while you were at Tech, did you, did you do any internships in the summers or, you know, what was your kind of thinking going through school there um, about possibly your next steps? Yeah, you start having to think about that. One of the things that um, was a challenge right away was paying for my school and I ended up not having a great start at, at Georgia Tech. The fifth day of class, I ended up getting hit by a car trying to cross the street on Tech oh, Week wow. Drive, come by the football stadium, coming out of the dorm. And uh, that didn't go well, right? I was, uh, I was hitting um, a really bad, bad situation, near-death experience. I mean, all the way down to, you know, being hauled off, hit on a, on a Thursday, I believe, woke up on a Sunday. Um, wow. Intensive care, everything like that. So, so didn't start off well, but um, as I was going through that process, I had some maturity that I needed to go through. And ultimately, the, the, the funding to get through college, um, I needed to co-op. Um, and so it was an alternating program of, of work and school. Every other back then, it was quarters rather than semesters. Mm -hmm. And um, it was really an awesome opportunity then to get real world experience as you were going through the academic process. And you could get so sick of school after even 12 weeks that uh, then it was great to do a work term and then flip back and forth. You so maybe tired of work after 12 weeks. Can you flip back and, and do a school term? So it was a, a great balance. I'd highly recommend it for uh, for anybody, I know since they flipped to semesters, it hasn't been quite as popular, but still anybody that can uh, get in a program like that, I would highly recommend it just because of the, the more you can learn about the real world, the sooner um, you'll just be better off. Yeah, it's actually a good point between the quarters and semesters because I, I was there when it was quarters and, you know, maybe it's just my, my bias, but I think it's a better balance where, you know, summer's not compressed. And if you were going to co-op, like you mentioned, you could do two a year and go, you know, two quarters a year and, you know, you only add one more year to your, to your college life. So it definitely makes it much more advantageous. But uh, so where did yeah. you, um, where did you want to co-oping? Yeah. So I ended up co-oping at IBM and I had interviewed with other, other employers as well. And even just going through that process was important, right? Because you're, you're setting the stage for something you're going to be doing later as far as looking for a job and getting a resume together and, and practicing through interviews. So uh, again, that kind of trial period was was great to go through. That I, I don't think I I was very good at it by any means, but ultimately got an opportunity midway through my sophomore year to co-op at IBM and do a six quarter stint there. They had a a support center, a customer support center at um, at the Wildwood Complex off of uh, Cobb Parkway in in Marietta, and um, and they actually used that technical support center as a, a way to have college students, there were 120 college students in the, in the group there that 
that basically supported IBM dealers, marketing reps, other types of uh, folks needing assistance with computers, uh, the IBM stack, uh, and, and we basically helped answer their questions on the phone. It was uh, challenging because it was just phone and it was troubleshooting when things were broken and you had to really listen, be attentive, uh, understand, and have empathy for the mm-hmm. uh, use it for the callers and then, and then find solutions and, and problem solve. So it was a, a great way for me, especially I think given my lack of verbal balance compared to my technical strength to basically grow in, in that way of having better communication skills, which, which were certainly not as natural. Yeah, that's, that's actually pretty remarkable. Was, um, were your customers, were they consumers or were they more business customers with um, you know, a support contract? Yeah, the customer groups that I was in with the, with the other co-op students, and this was from all over the South, they had folks coming in from different states, different schools. Um, we were focusing on IBM dealers and IBM uh, groups, not consumers. They actually launched the Consumer Center while I was co-oping there, and they had a, a different group for that. But, uh, but it was something that IBM replicated quite a bit as far as behind the scenes, having really cheaper labor in some ways, but skilled enough labor mm-hmm. to answer the questions and uh, make it a win-win for pretty much everybody. Well, that really gave you a leg up too, because you learned business you know, communication and dealing with you know, other professionals out in, in the industry that, you know, perhaps a lot, because I know I didn't, my, my jobs were very different. Um, they were, you know, more, you know, hourly wage, uh, less professional. So uh, I'm sure that gave you some really good experience that coming out of tech and going into your first job, you already had a kind of a, maybe a sense about, you know, what, what people deal with and, and how they interact with certain problems. Yeah, it was actually a really interesting experiment in the sense of here I am going through Georgia Tech, learning starting to get into industrial engineering major classes and, and learning about that discipline more fully. And yet I'm co-oping at a company that, yeah, there's a, there's a track from an industrial engineering major, but certainly a lot of the co-op students that were in there had a lot of other majors than the, from, from that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it wasn't a, a direct match in the sense of, hey, I'm not doing the traditional co-op engineering, industrial engineering job. This is a, a bit of a variant for that. But the, the interesting thing was, especially at the time, and that's continued even more now, the technology track, the fact that IT, that, that computers, that, that, that systems were really becoming such a, a hotbed of need in the labor market and for society to, to grow and advance. Um, it really made, a, it gave me, a, an, an, I guess, some insight into the track of going down a more technical computer-based path of the industrial engineering discipline rather than the more traditional discipline. And that's something that uh, I think all of us have to, to think through and, and, and learn through as far as when you, when you pick a path in your career and you go, well, hey, my real passion is to do X, Y, Z. You, you do want to think about the career implications on that because, I mean, I guess if I could have my ideal job, it might have been at the time at least to, to be a professional tennis player, right? And mm-hmm. with yeah. that, I could make about, you know, $2,000 a year, maybe. <laughs> I mean, that was not going to not gonna work with my skill set. But um, so you have to factor in and, and balance those different things. But, but, but consider that when you're looking at, 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 at where you are heading. And, and if you do make a, a path that's a little bit different than maybe the traditional track of an industrial engineering student, um, embrace it if, if you're comfortable with that and, and just evaluate that, that path and, and see if it works for you. And the great thing with co-oping is if you, if you didn't like that track, you can certainly cover, you know, return back to uh, uh, another more traditional co-op employer or just another, you know, back to school. You know, it's actually, 
a good precursor for some of the work you've done since then, because, you know, that iterative development and sort of that, you know, um, you know, test and measure and, and adjust, it's, um, you know, it's definitely served you well over the years. So, so coming out of Georgia Tech, uh, tell me about where you first landed. Yeah, coming out of Georgia Tech, you um, you get out of school. You don't graduate from Georgia Tech. Exactly. <laughs> and um, I mean, even thinking about that, this is something I would just uh, give some advice on. I ended up also getting a certificate in accounting, which was like a minor. And um, nothing just really stood out to me other than, you know, a few more classes I could get the minor. And my dad had recommended that. So I had the time. Um, and in fact, just one quick, you know, going back for a minute, I I would recommend if if it takes a little longer to get through school, and like you said, co-oping took a, an extra year, but it actually took me really a year and a half um, longer, if not two years, if you count the accident and having to withdraw from school for the first quarter. Um, if, you, if you take that extra time, it's usually worth it. Those are some amazing times in your life. There are awesome opportunities to build experiences, relationships, and things that um, it's, it's not going to be as easy necessarily in some capacity later. Now, obviously, if there's, there's pressures of, of financial cost and, and you need to get out because you got to get some money. Um, certainly, um, you know, you've got to do what you got to do in that case. But where you can find a way, and even if it's going into graduate school and finding, you know, they, the grad students typically can find positions to get paid along the way. Mm-hmm. Take advantage of that. Don't rush it. It's, it's a great time in your life to, to have more freedoms than in some ways you will later with things like mortgages and, and bills and things like that. So where you can, take the time and, and don't rush it to get out. Enjoy the, the ride along the way. Um, but for me, ultimately, my decision was, okay, law school, no, not really the track I really wanted to go down, but it would have been interesting maybe um, going into, you know, more more grad school or things like that. I was kind of sick of it. So at that point, okay, get a job and, and let's go try the real world. And uh, as, I, as I got to the end of, of graduation time there, um, there were, the economy was starting to pick back up. It had been a kind of a downturn in the early 90s, but um, in the kind of moving into the mid 90s, things were starting to pick up, especially as the internet age was about to take hold. And um, ended up finding uh, an opportunity with Energy Management Associates, which was really just a small company that was a division of EDS. They ultimately got purchased by EDS in an acquisition. And that was, uh, that was my first job out of college, basically. It was still, what, maybe 15 minutes away from school. I still live with my, my roommates from school. And so it was a very gradual step as far as getting out into the real world while still uh, enjoying some of the benefits of, of being close to the college campus. Okay. And what was your role as your, your uh, first job out of school? Yeah, you know, officially, the, I think the business card said associate because everybody at EDS, this was Ross Perot's company um, before, you know, was an associate. Mm-hmm. Um, but formally, it was a, uh, a consultant. It was somebody that learned software um, that we had developed. This was a, a custom software package for financial uh, utilities and accounting software. And it was basically just something we went in and installed at usually large utilities and, um, and basically supported their financial needs, which could be pretty heavy due to the regulatory burdens and, uh, and constraints that were on there. So it was basically figure out a software, figure out how it works, understand the code, even be able to code in the case of that position. And uh, with that, be able to, to solution for the customers and, and get them up and running and train them and, and away they go. Did you um, did you go through a kind of a an onboarding program or did they have a training you know group or were you kind of just thrown into the fire and you know you had to figure out things on the fly and as you went? Yeah, that's a great point. The the figure out things on the plot on the on the fly is such a 
I think, benefit of what Georgia Tech teaches you. Yeah. And, um, you know, long after you'll have any knowledge of even some of the specific memorizations and, and, and things that you did, and, and even if you did, things have changed so much, or you could just Google them. Um, it's not about that learning anyway. It's about learning the, the, the curveballs that are being thrown you and, and not having all the answers or the everything teed up for you to hit you've got to you've got to swing at those curveballs or, or sliders or things that aren't so so normal so dealing with that um i went into a position that was basically uh what had really been kind of a startup company that had just gotten bought some really smart people who had written the software and basically it was like yeah figure it out we, we hired these people that have pretty good pedigrees from from schools like like georgia tech etc and and we want them to uh to kind of figure it out as they go. So it wasn't, it wasn't very structured at all. It wasn't like maybe some of the more traditional big um, accounting firms and other uh, consulting firms that would give you that training, like a, a cent or back then Anderson consulting. Yeah. Uh, type program. Yeah. But you're right. I think, you know, there is, there is a lot of ambiguity that, that tech um, you experience while you're there, but it certainly prepares you to deal with things in the real world that, aren't necessarily laid out in front of you or, you know, have a, a guidebook that says exactly how you do step one, two, three, four. So yeah, it's, it definitely prepared you good for that one. Yeah. It, it was also though a good, well, kind of a little bit of a rough opportunity because some of our theme fifth day of work um, in that company, the, um, the person who hired me, my boss and his boss and two other key people who founded the company, the startup that, that EDS had acquired, they basically quit. And um, they got into a, a dispute with, uh, with EDS and basically went off to start their own alternative competing company. And, um, and so that was pretty shocking, right? Because I think the group yeah. was only about 16 people inside or size or so and uh, had to, to well, figure out what was going to happen at that point um, and stayed with it, you know, for about nine months as far as uh, for me trying to, to learn the product and, and be able to start working with some of the clients. It was just turning out to be something that was more coding related than I really wanted to do. It was, I had the understanding, I thought at least perhaps naively that, you know, 25% of my job would be software to coding and, and 75% would be working with clients and analysis and, and interactions, things like that. It turned out to be kind of the opposite of that. Mm. I just found myself sitting in the, in the office there writing code so much. I said, this is just not really my thing. It wasn't a passion. It's not really what I want to do. So started looking and, uh, and leveraging really the Alumni Association of, of Georgia Tech, they had a, a, an option there for people who had graduated that were looking at other opportunities. And it was a, a great way to connect into to other, other paths that you could find. Very cool. So what, where'd you wind up going uh, next? Yes. Yeah, so and the next opportunity that came up just from that, the flyer that they put out back then, there was a company called Hazelhurst and Associates, and, and there's a common theme in my career here. You're starting to maybe pick, pick up on, pick up on, which they had just been acquired by Northern Trust, mm -hmm. um, a large bank out of Chicago, and uh, and they were they had a, a job that was described as a process engineer role, uh, so a business process. I was process engineer. I was going to say, um, and it was basically much more in line with some of my industrial engineering training, much more interactive, working in a consulting role and and solving challenges for, for the, the clients there. And, um, and it was really kind of, anytime you can get a, a path, by the way, to, to get into consulting, whatever it is, my advice on that has always been um, do it and do it as long as you can. Um, eventually you might burn out and be prepared for that, but um, that experience that you're gonna soak up while you're in those different uh, experiences that are so diverse compared to, oh, you're at the same place 
for months, you know, years on end. Uh, it's just so powerful. It's so, so beneficial for, for later that uh, even if it is sometimes a little challenging, it, it's worth it uh, in your overall career track. That's a great point because you do get exposure uh, to other companies and you start to see that, you know, okay, maybe, you know, like I spent my first seven years at Delta and that was the only experience I ever really had. So I didn't know anything about how other companies, even other large companies, but any companies, how they ran their internal operations or what their finance systems look like or how they handled IT or what the customer feedback or anything like that. You know, as a consultant, you do, you know, you're able to see, certainly at a higher level, but also you're involved typically in more strategy and, you know, you're brought in to solve a problem and you're given access to a lot of areas of the company that as an employee, you may not normally have have gotten that and and be able to kind of see different industries and stuff. So yeah, I totally agree with you. I think getting, getting your, um, your feet wet as a consultant, you know, it definitely gives you um, a level of knowledge in the business world that you may not normally experience. Yeah, and, and one thing about that too, especially back then, it was the big six uh, accounting firms and trying to get on, on one of those firms, consulting groups like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I was necessarily a direct fit um, personally and just overall, you know, preference-wise with that type of um, path. And in fact, mm-hmm. I interviewed with the, the, the Pricewaterhouses, the Accenture's, it was Anderson Consulting, and, um, and didn't get offers ultimately. And um, I think when you don't necessarily line up exactly with that, um, I would just say, don't worry about that. And that just means there's probably a better path for you, but don't give up either because it's just a matter of uh, adjusting to, to where the opportunities are that still um, can offer you some different exposure as far as a consulting type path still. It just may be um, not the quite you know, mainstream or traditional track. Yeah, and I think the, there are more opportunities today um, to be in smaller, you know, boutique consulting companies than there used to be. Like you said, the the big, the big eight, now the big four, but, um, you know, was, those were big enterprise level consultants and you didn't have as many of the smaller options to really choose from. And I think now there's, there's certainly more industries and, and certainly more opportunities. So very cool. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So you're at, uh, you're at Hazelhurst, uh, Northern Trust, uh, looks like you're there for a couple of years and then, um, you want to make a move again. What's tell me a little bit about how that transition happened. Yeah. So I was there two and a half years. And one of the things that was interesting about that company, um, we were focusing on a consulting arm of the record keeping company. They were um, defined benefits, defined contribution plans, 401ks. Um, and you know, our client base though was really, it was a hot topic right now it was PeopleSoft at the time it was called PeopleSoft. It was this uh, client server software that our clients were installing and they couldn't really figure out how to use it very well. And so we just grabbed an opportunity there and figured that out ourselves um, and, and worked with them and basically um, kind of shifted our, our process engineering focus. We still had that in, in the you know, cost takeout process mapping um, Six Sigma lean processes. We still had that, but um, there was so much interest on that software side and it was so new and so challenging for some of our clients that um, it turned into a, a really big business for us. And we spent a lot of time on consulting, on travel, um, really, you know, taking advantage of that. So did that. And ultimately uh, the travel became somewhat tiring uh, for me and tiring even for my wife who, was getting frustrated with some of the, the being gone uh, mm-hmm. situation and yeah. decided to start looking at other, other chances that were out there. And it was, a, it was a great time back in 97 to look at other things with the, the job market taking off. And uh, there was an ad in the 
Atlanta Journal Constitution newspaper back when we, we read newspapers. <laughs> At um, least the paper ones, right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, it was in the it was in the you know, an ad advertising a business process engineer position and a um, it said a quiet, um, you know, out out you know, out in the country kind of part of Atlanta, um, which was actually Alpharetta on Linwood Parkway, which believe it or not back then really was country. But yeah. uh, <laughs> it was like Nor- Nortel was about the only thing up there. Yeah, yeah, there was just a couple of things, but they built a couple of huge roads and infrastructure was really, really, really invested in up there. And so yeah. took um I basically applied there and then got called in, did some interviews and uh that was a spinoff, interestingly enough, of uh the company was named Choice Point. It was a spin-off of Equifax. Very different culture, almost a completely different world as far as cultures and, and mindsets go. But um but awesome as far as um being able to be part of this this newly starting divestiture and and being in there to originally the focus was okay large systems there's going to be um, a new replacement of the vax which is like a mainframe kind of old school system there with their motor vehicle records uh system that they had which by the way for those of you who may run i know this the when you go to the insurance companies and and they they check to see if you've had any traffic tickets traffic accidents um, they basically went to choice point which was the the databases they had basically access to the the department of EMVs. They had built connections to to all the states and their various very diverse processes, as well as they had a claims database called Clue that was shared. And uh, ultimately, that company was bought by LexisNexis. But um, that's where the insurers all go. It's it's a it's a pretty lucrative position to be in to be that one stop shop for that information. And uh, and as that technology was there, there were all kinds of opportunities to to leverage it in different ways. And um, as they were replacing the MVR system, they wanted a business engineer, business process engineer to help support the, the, the cost takeout and the savings that would come on that, um, a lot with training, a lot with change management, and, and really just redefining how those operating models would work. So that's what I had. It was kind of like an internal consulting position. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a great, great environment to be in. That's awesome. And you're right. There's, there's so many hidden... Um, I guess, industries that are in this kind of, you know, fintech world and, um, you know, transactionality, I guess, is what, uh, you know, Alpharetta has become with all the, the financial services companies that are up there. But um, yeah, it's, I had forgotten that Choice Point was a spinoff of Equifax back in the day. So you were there for almost 10 years. Now, um, did you start to get a sense that the traditional software development uh, processes and procedures were, uh, kind of cumbersome and, and tell me a little bit about how things kind of moved into a little more of that agile feel that you, um, that you embraced. Yeah, it was really interesting because the experience at, at, at choice point was um, where I was hired as a business process engineer, but um, I think in general, the, the leadership um, there, especially at the senior levels had, had learned kind of lessons in, in kind of a, a anti-culture or kind of anti, you know, approach to kind of Equifax as far as process goes and, and did things in a much more agile way, just kind of naturally. Um, this is in the late nineties. So it was kind of before, before they actually brought in a, a, an approach that was real rigid maybe in the prior years, but there was kind of an aversion to that. So it was much more rapid and, and less documentation heavy, much mm-hmm. more on the, on the agile manifesto side of individuals interactions. Um, the, 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 side of of getting things done and, and being efficient about it so um had some great times you know in the experience there and um there was such an emphasis in the late 90s you may remember some of this that uh it was more about 
new revenue generation and, and innovation and new product development. So had the opportunity to move into some groups there that were focused on, on that and, and, and generating new products. And so we had some things like identity quiz questions and, and biometric fingerprint reading and, and, and being able to, for the TSA after 9-11 had happened, the, the, um, the TSA uh, government agency that was being set up needed background screening, uh, fingerprint reading done so they could be legitimate as far as being employed to, to do those checks. So it was a, an amazing opportunity actually to be able to, to be part of a development team to build a solution um, there for that. And then actually they sent us on the road to, to go out there and, and fingerprint ourselves, uh, fingerprint the, the TSA staff because there was just a, such a hurried um, situation there needing to, to make it work. And uh, it, was, it taught me really the, the value of getting out and seeing it and living it firsthand because it's one thing to, to build solutions for people um, from kind of behind the, behind the curtain out there, you know, doing, doing your thing. But, but getting out there and seeing it firsthand and, and being part of that, um, as, as crazy as it seemed to have us do that and, and it was um, one of the best experiences I ever had as far as a learning opportunity and, and connecting um, to the, the, the real needs of who your user base is. That's, that's a real sweet spot that, you know, if you're in a bigger organization, but they operate like a much smaller company, um, either, you know, through a different culture or a spinoff or something like that, that's kind of gives you the best of both worlds because you can actually see a broader, you know, range of the company uh, move a little bit faster and break some of the traditional, you know, um, structure that's in place in, in a typically a bigger, certainly an older company that has to overcome. Yeah. Yeah, it was great and um, had, had a great time there. There was a, an acquisition that ChoicePoint had made of a public records group and uh, that was out of Boca Raton. And they ended up um, having an opportunity in that group to, to get involved in, and really it was pre and post sales client implementation work. So realizing that, that there were customizations and special IT data matching services um, that could be developed and, and sold to our client base as we had some pretty, pretty strong uh, database sets there. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that was kind of the next path for me internally there within that 10 year time frame was to, to move into that and, and work really more with the sales team more than I ever had before um, to actually be part of the field services sales team at one point and, um, and, and get that chance to, to understand that side of the business, which I'll always say, if you, you know, if you think about it as, as much as the world needs the, the backend side and the IT and the, the software development, if you can get some experience working with sales folks, even if you're not cut out to be the, the salesperson, and I certainly don't feel like I, I have that ability very naturally. Um, anytime you can work with people that do that, it's just such a uh, a great learning opportunity. It's a great experience, and 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 I would always encourage you to to get into that where you can, where it makes sense. Well, that's kind of where you know that last mile, or where the rubber meets the road, or whatever you know you know business slang you want to use. But I mean, you know, sales is it. You know, that's why the company's in business. And if you can kind of see how that process works you can kind of step backwards to see wherever role you are. That's, that's how it, um, you know, interacts with that group. And if, if things are delayed in what you're doing to get out there or they're not, you know, getting the right inputs, or if you're building a new product set, you know, you know, the right training or, you know, there's all sorts of things you can learn by getting out in the field and really understanding the challenges that sales reps have and, you know, kind of getting that sales cycle experience under you is really valuable. 
Yep, always take advantage of that. Although you can always go from the more technical side into that business side later. So at the same time, if you are tracking down a, a, an area of, hey, you've got some strengths in perhaps software coding and, and things like that, certainly run that out as far as using your, your talents to progress there, but be, be ready to shift over to the business side when those opportunities come because I think they will eventually come for almost anybody and they can be very lucrative and, 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 and positive from that experience when you can jump over to, um, to that side. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know we could probably talk forever on some of these experiences you had at Choice Point as well as at Equifax, but um, yep. I'm curious to kind of hear how that, that transition into, um, you know, getting away from those traditional SDLC or software development lifecycle uh, frameworks and into, you know, what the tipping point was for you to get into that, that more um, uh, agile type of a world. Yeah, so I ended up um, leaving Choice Point almost by accident in a way. I had gone to lunch, and this is where, you know, another kind of lesson I'll just mention here is I had had, um, I had a friend who I'd worked with at Northern Trust, and, um, and he had reached out to me and said, hey, let's go to lunch, let's catch up, and so we did, and he had had an opportunity um, to, to, he was now working actually at uh, a company you're familiar with, um, North Island, mm-hmm. and um, he had said, hey, you know, you should really come talk with us and, and, and potentially consider coming here. And uh, it's in-town consulting, so you wouldn't have to travel out of town and might be a great fit for me. And it was a really attractive opportunity. I was very interested in it and almost took it. Um, but what happened was I reached out to, uh, I, I pretty much knew I was going to get the offer, but I reached out to some folks that I'd listed as contacts as far as references go and said, hey, just a heads up, you might get a call, um, put you down as a reference, you know. And as I mentioned it, the person said, oh, yeah, uh, you should come down to Equifax and, uh, and, and have you here because, you know, we've got opportunities we could really use you. And so... One thing led to another. I think the next day in there, I was I was talking to his boss and uh, getting an offer kind of the day after. So um, you never know what kind of opportunities are going to pop up, but that's that's how I ended up there. And um, it was definitely kind of uh, a change back to more, like you said, the SDLC, more traditional path for me. And I did spend nine years there. Um, I'll keep that somewhat short, but but basically along the way, I tried to bring a lot of the mindset and, and, and agility and um and transformation that I had picked up from my experiences into Equifax. And with that, there was kind of a natural evolution, especially at the time in 2007, um, leading up to 2009, that, that, that there was starting to be some buzz toward um, more iterative agile practices. And, um, and that's where I, I became very passionate about. And it's part of the software development activities that I was involved in as was really more of a business analyst role to start with, but moved into more of a project management function. I, um, I tried to bring in some of the uh, agility um, thinking to that role. And from there, um, things just really took off as far as um, getting engaged with broader parts of the company that were also looking to head that way and providing guidance um, almost to the point by accident. I had become a, an administrator of the, uh, the software for the agile software there just because um, kind of by default, nobody else was grabbing it and it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll learn it and, and support the organization. And then separately um, with training, just picking up the skills and being able to get certified to, to teach on that um, was another, again, kind of accidental um, evolution in my career. But um, when you think, look back on it, it, it made sense kind of naturally as far as, you know, figuring out something that's needed. It's a gap in the, in the area and, um, and helping fill that void and, and help others then through, through what you can bring to the table. No, I, and I know firsthand that, you know, I, I saw some of the, um, the efforts that you did. You definitely um, were a pioneer, you know, in, in a lot of ways 
with the groups that I was involved with at Equifax and kind of being that agile evangelist. But I think that's, you know, what you just described is, is really one of those opportunities that I think anybody can kind of go through. And if there, you see a need that's not being filled, you volunteer for stuff, you know, you tackle some of the harder things, you know, you mentioned you got certifications because, you know, why not expand your, your knowledge and get a little more structure around it. And, you know, just stepping in to do some of the things like, you know, I remember you, you were administrator for some of the, the tools that we were using and then you became kind of the de facto expert. And then I know we would get into a situation and then someone would get stuck and like, I don't call Rob, he'll know. And so that sort of became, you know, your role, even though we didn't necessarily, you know, work in the same group, we worked together a lot to solve problems. And, um, you know, I think that was, that was a really good, valuable experience. I think a lot of the listeners, you know, can take away is that don't shy away from things. If there is an opportunity to learn something new or to fill a gap or to, you know, help solve a problem, even if it's not your job, you know, it can really make a big difference in terms of how leadership views you as somebody that you can go to and solve. And I I definitely saw that firsthand uh, while I was there at Equifax with you. Yeah, you're right on the money. It, um, it's, it's definitely a path. I would just say, as you do that, always be careful um, as far as make sure you're staying aligned with your current leadership and make sure that uh, that, that, that is balanced so that you have that support. And, um, and, but definitely, like you said, you know, pursue those passions where you can help. There's a need, there's an opportunity. Um, you'll be happier, I think, for it and the people that you work with will as well. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, you were... Um you were at Equifax a, a long time, um, and I, you were really, I mean, you got to be known in the, in the Agile, you know, networking groups outside of work. So tell me about what your, what your thinking was as uh, your, your time was winding down, and obviously it was winding down, but you were obviously, you know, well-known outside. And so tell me about what led to your, um, to your next step. Yeah, um, it was one of those things where I had had the opportunity even at Equifax to, um, and did this at Choice Point, um, bring in some college talent and starting with interns back at the Choice Point days and mm-hmm. evolving that to co-ops and then starting a co-op program, not only at Choice Point, but at Equifax and, and leveraging that type of really that same model I had picked up from my IBM experience where, hey, you know what, for a, a very reasonable rate, you can bring in um, some very energetic, talented folks. And, and yes, they don't have much experience, but you can really exploit an opportunity to pair um, folks that are seasoned in the, in the company with their, their energy and youth. And basically, it's a win-win for everybody. So um, as long as that's done the right way, that, that can work really well. Um, and so at building on that, um, it was something that I had helped establish at Equifax. And I feel like any company, anybody, you know, look for those chances to, to bring in uh, talented young college folks. It could be something as simple to start with. And we did a few of these as senior design projects. I know the industrial engineering program had a, a, a it was, I think it's one semester now, it was two quarters back in the day, but they had this six month kind of thing that you could, you could get a a, you know, a practice project, so to speak, by the students on to help you out. And, um, and so there are opportunities like that all over the place to, to let folks that can bring some, you know, energy and, and talent in. And, um, and from there, um, as I had gotten involved in the, the agile um, software that we had um, in the company and looked at some better software that had been started to emerge in the early stages, there was a, a company that uh, that was really, I thought, going to make a huge difference down the road as far as enterprise 
connectivity. And, and this is the thing, and I want to be careful when I, I keep using the term agile because I got to be careful. This is um, buzzword bingo can kind of drive you nuts here. Um, <laughs> yeah. The way things and, and, and what's happened in a lot of cases is like the rest of the world typically has done in, in a lot of ways, um, the politi politicalization of uh, even agile in terms like that has has put things in in some you know places that are are sometimes down you know looked at negatively like oh this is this is uh, this is a bunch of you know malarkey or this is you know misused and abused and of course anything that's a a good concept when not applied appropriately um, can be um, misused and abused and and so we're seeing some of that um, you know in general so so just you know take that. Um, in context and as I'm, I'm sharing some of this, but um, for me, we had a software um, we were, we were going to use and switch to. And as I became uh, very passionate about that as a potential enabler for the organization, um, realized that that was really what I wanted to do. And this kind of, when you look back at my career, kind of traces back to even back to the days of the PeopleSoft software, even the first software out of school where um, there's, there's needs for, for industry or for users to, to work with what can be very powerful enabling um, functionality. And so with that, um, that's not just something that naturally happens. People are resistant to change. There's gotta be training, there's gotta be um, help and analysis to kind of fit for a purpose um, what is there and, and really understand what the needs are, right? It should really come from a business problem, not from just a solution being thrown out there just because you have something. Um, yeah. and, and so getting into that and putting that consulting hat on in, in whatever way, you know, can benefit you. Um, that's what I did and, um, and found an opportunity with that company um, as they were growing is still kind of very startup kind of size. And uh, they were based in Austin, Texas. So it was a big career change for me as far as for the first time in my life, um, not being in an office, being uh, working out of my home and traveling some. But, but mainly working out of my house. So that was a, a shift back in 2016 for me that um, right now I embrace <laughs> and, um, and was, is fantastic and I have enjoyed, but uh, you gotta be ready to, to change when something like that comes your way in, in life. Yeah, well, you were four years ahead of the rest of us, right? So uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you got well-practiced. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, so yeah, jumping into that, that remote work, um, definitely changes things. And especially in the, you know, the, one of the, the things that's, that's really important about, you know, whether you're in a lean shop or, or an agile, uh, shop co-location is a big deal. And, you know, when you, when you take some of these classes and they start talking about, you know, as a scrum master, you know, you get everybody together and, and everyone's there in the same room. And, you know, the reality is, usually a lot different, especially if you've got offshore teams. Um, so having to kind of make that remote piece work, um, having a, a good software tool that can kind of align people and have them follow a process and a sequence and use that as not only a, a driver for the roadmap, but also for a communication vehicle and a way to understand, you know, where we are in the process is, is fantastic. I remember the learning a little bit about agile craft um, as you're kind of working through some of that, um, you know, I know you got to know a lot more as you implemented that with other companies. Um, tell me a little bit about some of the things that you learned moving to a software vendor that was different than trying to implement something from within, you know, an industry uh, company. Yeah, um, it, it was interesting because I, I picked up kind of right away. I had been at, at Equifax. I was actually invited to be a reviewer on one of the Agile conference, the annual, the large one that the Agile, um, usually Agile 2020, Agile 2021 mm -hmm. um, conference. And, um, and um, they, they, I could already tell being on that group when I was an Equifax employee, but I had 
just gotten hired by Agilecraft um, really shortly after that in some of the feedback that there was such a um, kind of aversion to tooling. And, um, and yes, you know, ideally you don't want to skip the fact that in-person interaction is always ideal. Um, yellow stickies and markers and whiteboards, those are fantastic ways to, to easily and visually communicate. Um, but to scale for a company in large size, um, certainly um, you're going to need some electronic presence and, and balance with that. And certainly when things like COVID hit and, and other reasons that keep people more remote than they ever would have been before, you're, you're going to need something. Um, yeah. For, you know, for me, it was just a neat chance to, to give it a try and be part of a group that was um, much more empowered in some ways just because of the nature of its size and, and fantastic people to work with um, that, uh, that gave me a chance to, to kind of do what I do, do what I like to do and, and interact with, with clients and help them, um, you know, in understanding their needs and, 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 and working with them to solve how we can make things, make things you know, go. Seems like a natural progression for you anyway. You were always you know, somewhat in that consulting role, whether you were internal or external. And so you were kind of providing that, that role when, you know, you and I worked together at Equifax. And so now it just seemed like, you know, a natural transition into, okay, this is, this is a tool in the process. Now I can help multiple companies, you know, get on board with this and really help them, you know, drive these, these solutions to help them. Yeah, the, the first uh, job I had, somebody told me, I said, you, why do you like the job? You know, and he said, I get paid to solve puzzles. And that stuck with me because if you look back on, on on my life, really, I've gotten paid to solve puzzles of some sort, right? And in a way, we all do, right? Even the doctor that you go see and, you know, they're going room to room and, and here comes somebody with a, a broken, you know, something's wrong with their arm or their leg or whatever medical um, ailment they have. But I, I'd say that's, you know, that's what you want to do is find out what puzzles you like to solve and find the kind of opportunity in life that basically pays you to solve puzzles and, and mm-hmm. just figure out what your, your favorite puzzles are. Yeah, that's that's actually really good advice. So, yeah, yeah so you're um, at Agilecraft. Uh, obviously, you go through um, an acquisition, um, and acquisitions, you know, always come with some level of culture shift. Um, was there an adjustment that you had to make, uh, both personally as well as kind of how you dealt with some of your customers, or was it pretty smooth? Yeah, the acquisition uh, by Atlassian was fantastic. It um, and, I, and in the industry, right, there have been uh, acquisitions that um, that haven't gone so well in, in various cases, and I won't get into specifics there. But um, we all know, right, companies where there have been acquisitions and the outcomes from those haven't been very good um, in a lot of cases for the companies uh, even, as well as the employees in, in a lot of cases too. Um, this is not that case, at least from everything um, I've been able to experience and everything is, it looks like um, a great cultural fit, um, executive leadership that, that was strong at Agile Craft and is, and is strong at Atlassian. Um, you know, those supports, those behaviors, um, the, those are going to make such a huge impact on sustained, sustained, sustained success, um, the culture, the environment of an organization. So I would just say, um, whenever you're, you know, working wherever you're working, if if you're, you can feel that and you can understand that and you can see it kind of top to bottom. If it's not good at those top levels, um, you know, perhaps you need to stay under the radar um, for a while. But ultimately, uh, you know, there's a, a good chance that unless you can outlast that senior leadership, um, it's probably better off for you to move on, right? And, mm-hmm. and if you, you know, that's okay, right? Everybody finding that right fit, it might might need it. Just you know, it's not a great fit for you. But if you do that, you know, do so quietly, right, and respectfully, and put the best, you know, of your of your abilities into 
continuing on whatever role you're in, but also starting to look for new opportunities. And then when you're in those new opportunities, um, you know, as, as the acquisition, um, you know, took place with Atlassian, you know, find, find your mode, find what works for you and, and fit into the, the change that comes. And, um, and hopefully that's a good fit. And if not, you know, there's other opportunities, but um, so far it's been fantastic. I, uh, I can't say enough of, as far as a, a great place to work. Um, Atlassian is one of those places. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's, you know, that's true is that you, you really do need to do a little bit of soul searching and figure out sort of what is your culture fit. I know when you go through interviewing, you know, um, I know when I, when I started out, I was like, I just need a job, you know, it doesn't matter how I fit with the culture, you know, if they're going to pay me and the job seems remotely interesting, I'm there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I did, it took me a while to kind of realize that it's a two way, two way conversation that, you know, not only is the company interviewing the candidate, but the candidate should be interviewing the company, make sure that there is the right fit, that the culture matches up to core beliefs and, you know, how you approach a job and, you know, other things like, is there, is there professional growth or am I going to learn something new about this or, you know, any of the other aspects of it. So I think, you know, having that, that culture fit that you've experienced and it's still there um, certainly resonates to your job satisfaction. I know personally speaking, the places that I enjoyed and fit in well with cultures were the ones that I really enjoyed the most. So, um, yeah. And, and one of the things um, I think this new, you know, the younger generation gets that concept better than the You're right. folks that were yeah. children of the big 80s. <laughs> I had this conversation with my son and I'm sure you may have as well. Yeah. Um, and so that's, that's, that's okay. Right. Um, but I would just, you know, say you just don't want to go down a path that's not going to make you happy. And I remember thinking about when we were, even in college, putting on our resume, okay, we had this, you know, top line, put objective and mm -hmm. kind of joking. It's like, okay, because I had different various objectives kind of more tailored for what the job of the offering was because you're just trying to get a job. But ultimately, if I could put the truth on it, it was like, well, objective, a job because you're just <laughs> trying, to, trying to get employed coming out of college, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That's not really what you want, right? It's to find a job that is um, taking advantage of, of your creative talents and abilities and, and passions and, and find that fit. And, and the main thing I'd just say is, um, don't stress about it if you aren't finding that, that it, it can be demoralizing sometimes. I know like on our wall, it was always kind of a, a fun thing to do at Georgia Tech, these these flush letters that you would put on your oh, yeah. dorm room wall, apartment wall of, of your door and, you know, every one of those. And I think I filled up a, a door full back then but um but that's okay right because you're you're building you're building nothing else character and you're you're growing in different ways and just embrace it and yeah. i think that, again the younger generation is doing a better job of that in some ways but um but there's i think a lot they can still learn too yeah and i think you know i've got about the flesh letters man that was a that was a <laughs> definite uh throwback there but the you know you learn a lot more about yourself through some of your failures anyway i know my first few job interviews when I was still at tech were horrendous. And, you know, as you start to kind of look inside and kind of see where, you know, the gaps were and all that, you know, if the interview went well and, you know, I know if I had a great interview and I, the first company I talked to hired me, I wouldn't have learned much, you know, but having to kind of adjust and figure out, you know, all right, that was a question that I didn't even think about. So I didn't have an answer for that. So what I do go, we'll do a little research on that. So I think even, you know, when you get into, um, areas of disappointment or, I mean, 2020 has been one of these bizarre years that none of us have seen before. And I know there's folks that have lost their jobs as well, and they're looking to kind of figure out what's their next step. Um, so I think this is a good opportunity to kind of look in and kind of see where your strengths really are and figure out, you know, how do you make, 
your strengths match up to what your next opportunity is. And, um, you know, sometimes they're not always obvious, but there has always been opportunities out there. Um, if you're willing to work and adjust and change, you know, sometimes it's going back to school. Sometimes it's taking a step or two back. Um, but if you show that you're willing to work and work hard, you know, a lot of times that can open up some doors that maybe you didn't even think about, you know, when you first started down that. So it's always yeah. good to, yeah. It sounds cliche, but it's almost always true, right? Is, is those challenges, those obstacles are really opportunities just somewhat disguised perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. Well, listen, man, um, one last question. I'll, I'll let you run, but uh, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give yourself? You talked a little bit about, um, you know, some of the things you, you know, you thought back as, as you were in school, but even coming into your first job, anything that you would uh, talk to a, a younger Rob and, and either give him some reassurance or some, some words of wisdom to think about? Yeah, so it's funny because I was having lunch with somebody today who was actually a, a friend of mine from, from Georgia Tech, from you know, industrial engineer, took a different path um, than I did, went down the um, logistics and more traditional industrial engineering path. And, um, you know, here we were meeting for lunch. We're still, you know, we've lived in Atlanta, both of us really since graduation and um, had different opportunities and, um, and just connecting and, and looking back on things, thinking through that to answer your question. Um, I think it's to, to really relax and enjoy the ride. Um, I think I was pretty wound up and more intense about things, even back to in college getting grades. Not that your grades aren't important, but um, you can also obsess over things or let things wor worry you at a level that probably aren't gonna, isn't really gonna help or even matter to you later. And so um, just remember that, right? That, that you're on a journey and that, that that's part of the, the, you know, that's part of the fun really when you look back on it and, and next thing you know, um, you know, it's going to go pretty quick because you're going to look at your age and go, wow, I'm this old now. I can't, can't believe this. <laughs> I don't know what happened to those last 30 years, but, <laughs> um, but it was, it was a great ride. But at the same time, you know, you know, we learned this a lot from our, 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 our elders, right? The, the grandparents who have kind of gotten that more relaxed, you know, jovial, you know, type B rather than type A personality um, yeah. kind of evolution. And, um, and I think that's something that we can always strive for too. So um, that's my advice is, 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 is make it fun and, and really don't stress out because it's usually going to be just fine, even if what does seem really, really challenging. And certainly right now, looking outside with COVID and everything going on, um, it can feel that way. But um, I think in the end, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the bad times never last. Uh, forever, you know, neither do the good times. So kind of enjoy that, that ride. It's going to be a roller coaster at times, but um, yeah, I think just relax and keep things in perspective is, is always a good idea. So, all right, Rob, well, listen, man, this has been fun, man. Thanks for uh, kind of walking down your journey. And um, it's been interesting to kind of hear how some of the things have, you know, started from, you know, where you were at tech to where you are now. So I appreciate your time. Yeah, and, and would that make it fun advice? Um, one thing, I just was looking at a couple of notes I just put together. Um, you know, to do, to make sure you have balance too, right? Have Find a hobby. And, and kids can be a hobby, but also more than kids, right? As you probably know. Yeah. I mean, you know, I've gotten involved originally in tennis, even, you know, the local Alta Leagues tennis, you know, men triathlons kind of became my passion. So I've gotten involved in, in a lot of that now. And um, just be, you know, making sure you're keeping that balance. Don't, don't go too all in on, on one thing and, uh, and lose the dimensions that you need as far as the, the, the multi, you know, multiple paths of, of, your, of your life. 
So. Man, that is so important now. You know, we were talking before we did the recording just about, you know, what life is like in the last five months where, you know, you're working in the same place you're living. And, you know, a lot of times you may not even go outside. And so having a hobby and having that break is really important mentally just to sort of get that separation. Because I know, um, you know, when, when uh, we were working in the office, you know, I sort of had that you know, the commuting ramp up time. So you had 30 to 60 minutes to either listen to another podcast or kind of think about some things that are going on or just kind of get out of home mode and get into work mode. And then the same thing coming home, you know, you had a little bit of a break before you can get home. And, and mm-hmm. I remember when my kids were little, it's like, you know, as soon as you walk in the door, man, you're attacked. And so that was pretty cool. But you had a little bit of, um, you know, just uh, warning for lack of a better word. But now I can't imagine, you know, what some of the folks are, you know, trying to, to balance with, you know, kids right outside the door, not understanding why, you know, mom or dad's on the phone for six or eight hours on the computer or whatever. So yeah, hobbies are a great way to sort of, you know, recharge, um, refresh your brain and sort of step away from the grind of work and that lets you to come back a little bit more refreshed and refocused and maybe different perspective. Yep. You got it. Take the yeah. time and, and balance out and give back too, where you can, you know, put the time in to give back in different ways. Um, Cause there are certainly tons out there and it will, it will help you help others and it will really um, make it worth it. Definitely. All right, Rob. Well, listen, man, I appreciate your time again. This is great. Uh, thank you for sharing all your experiences and uh, we'll have to catch up again soon. Okay. Sounds great, Paul. All right. Thanks. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.